what a week it's been. So much to talk about and so many things we can't talk about. I'm Mark. And I'm Harris. And we'd like to welcome you to Behind the Gorilla, a podcast where we delve into the wild, wacky, and crazy side of professional wrestling. How's it going, everyone? Welcome to another episode of Behind the Gorilla. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a fun one. Harris has the has the reins for this episode. Next week, we'll get back into uh, my trilogy of uh, WCW's trilogy of terror matches. But Harris is going to bring us a different different topic this week, and hopefully, hopefully it'll be good. Hopefully, it's interesting, Harris. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I hope so. <laughs> I was interested in it. Oh well, there but... you go. That's a start. So uh, Fastlane is tonight. Of course, this is our outdated talk about Fastlane that's already happened, mm-hmm. but we haven't seen it yet because this is Sunday afternoon. Well, everyone's freaking out. See, this will be evergreen. Whatever happens tonight, that's true. Every all of the stuff is pretty much kind of nothing set, unfortunately. But most of it is at least in a direction. And 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 I doubt they would either change or start things at Fastlane. This I hope not. So, right. you know, hopefully I mean, everything's is... at least headed in the direction that we're expecting. Right. I mean, the thing the, I feel like the predominant current event right now at this moment is everyone is freaking out because Ronda Rousey fully turned heel, which is great. This is what we've been calling for for months. Mark, especially, I know, has really wanted to see this. And now she's cutting like work shoot promos on Twitter where she's just like, hey, idiots, wrestling is fake and I could beat Becky Lynch up if I wanted to in real life. I'm kind of paraphrasing here. Right. But here's the thing. I don't I don't love that. I think it's a little overdone. But if you think it was entirely Ronda Rousey's decision to go rogue and like say stuff like this and get too worked in the work shoot or too shooty in the work shoot. Stop for a second and just consider that Triple H did this exact same thing on Monday. Did you get a chance to watch that promo? Yep, I did. To me, what he did is worse because I feel like at least when Ronda is out here saying like, oh, no, like this is fake, but I could beat him up for real. That's sort of in line with what you would expect like an MMA celebrity to say. Yeah, And she's saying it on Twitter where people who don't watch wrestling will see it and theoretically get like reeled into the product. Right. Assuming this is all assuming, obviously, that she's still going to like eat the pin at WrestleMania. She's not going to snap mm-hmm. and actually beat up Becky Lynch because this entire conversation changes. Right. Obviously, if that's the case. But to me, that's way more in line with her character and for something like a heel Ronda Rousey to do. Then Triple H, like the guy who has just run the company for years, the guy who, you know, held the title in what fans still refer to as a reign of terror for years, yep. Yep. coming out on the show in a platform that was set aside for him on the show and saying, no, listen, the rest of this stuff's fake, but this one, yep. this one's real. Yep. <laughs> like the commentary I heard somebody say, and I liked the promo. I just sure. I thought it was a little it leaned a little too far into when he's like, no, I'm not a character. This is the real guy. Like we all know that he's going to come out to the ring dressed as like the guy (laughs) from God of War. 
You know what I mean? Like, I, <laughs> I didn't even think of that. That's a great I point. Didn't either. This was like you can't you can't have the entrance that we know you're going to have. Right. To fight Drax and be like, <laughs> no, no, man, this is real. Like, no, it's not. Like, no. <laughs> That's he awesome. Takes it a bridge too far when it's Triple H of all people standing in a ring reading a script and saying, no, this is this is you know all. All but saying, like, no, this is Paul Levesque from Grenada. I was waiting for him to say it. I was waiting. And I feel like he was going to and then didn't. I feel like that was there. Because I was waiting for him to say Paul Levesque. And he never quite did. I feel like he chickened out. I mean, on the one hand, I like the fact that somebody writing for the company is realizing that it's more fun to try and blur the line between what's real and what's not. Because when it's done well, that goes really, really well. But like five years ago, Daniel Bryan was running off of the story that they thought he was too small to be a world champion. And the storyline that the authority was running with was, we don't think you're like, you know, best for business. You're not a corporate champion. And they were able to tap into that real life sense of like struggle and angst that the fans had. And they didn't have to say, no, look, Brian Danielson, you're not going to win because you're too small. Wink. Like it's just, it, I feel like they did say that at some point though. I feel like they did call him that at one point. See, I maybe I'm just misremembering. I could be wrong. Maybe I'm only remembering the good stuff, which maybe. is what wrestling fans kind of do anyway. Which is well, no, which is fair. No, but but like let the, the fun to me comes from when you let the audience realize, oh wait, this is kind of real, not when you spoon feed it to them. You know what I mean? Like it feels yeah. condescending. At least Ronda Rousey hasn't said it on WWE television yet. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I agree. I, I totally agree, and it's just a further thing of me not liking Triple H, so that which is fine, right? But, but that's uh, the thing you're biased about all this anyway because I, I loved that promo. Like, uh, no, I no, me too. Really I thought the promo was really good too, and I it, it kind of hyped me up for it a little bit until I realized, wait, no, this is all stupid. The whole feud in general is kind of stupid, and then that whole aspect was dumb, like you were saying that 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 over the top. And this is my problem with WWE right now, because they have they have several things that are pretty pretty good and have been good. Okay, you cannot tell me that this Becky Lynch storyline is not really dumb. Now, they have oh they overcooked. Oh my 100%. gosh, they took something that was so good, it was so fresh, it was so hot, so working, and they WWE'd the hell out of it, and it is. Almost unbearable right now. I, I I can't stand it. Fortunately, it seems like most people on Twitter still are fine with it. But I, it, it's just like the most annoying thing. The whole thing is just like, what? This just screams Vince McMahon. It screams just, Vince McMahon. It, it's like you had something dip- so well. All you needed to do was keep this thing. Becca, uh, Becca. Wow, Becky, <laughs> Becky, and Rhonda. Just using keep, the shoot name. Yeah, I know. Just, just keep that there. You just keep that up. You keep building it up. You have them, you know, interfere with each other. You have them go back and forth. You don't even have to have a match. You can, you can build it up without having a match. And and you know, she wins the the rumble. You're building up to that. You can do the whole thing of. I don't know, however you want to do it, whichever one you want to kind of swing the heel, kind of be the one to not initiate the contact, and, and kind of, there's so much, you just let that go, you could just, that was already there, it was already developed, it was already there, 
you had it ready to go for WrestleMania. You just needed to kind of ride it out and keep it there. Maybe add a couple of things to it. And and obviously we know they wanted Charlotte in there. And so that was step one. That was the problem. But you could even still do this with throwing Charlotte in there and it'd still be okay. But now they're like, oh no, we we need to make... I, I don't I don't I want to know what their thinking is with Becky Lynch because they're they, she was already there and now they're like oh no we need to make her bigger or something and and I understand the putting of the barriers and stuff I get trying to get sympathy but her character's not one to like get sympathy like that like that's not her that's not her character her character is not Daniel Bryan and they've booked it like like she is and and it doesn't it doesn't work. And now it's just getting ridiculous. Now she's hurt. Is she hurt for real? Or is it all uh, a work? Dude, I don't even me? know. I, I don't either. I, I'm hoping like, she's hurt knows. for real. I'm hoping she's hurt for real. Because if she's not, it doesn't make any sense. And Okay, so... Sorry, and I'm so... I'm just... Oh, I'm over it. I, I don't care. It's gotten to be... Oh, you're going to throw in another wrinkle? Oh, you're going to throw in another... It's just... It's stupid at this point. It's just like, okay, we all know she's going to be in this thing, and if she's not, then it's really dumb, and now we threw the Royal Rumble out completely on top of everything else. It's like, everything's so muddled, I don't know what's going on. So, I think... Well, and it, it kind of depends on what happens tonight. So, as you're listening to this, like, maybe, I don't know, something crazy happens at Fastlane. Maybe nothing crazy happens at Fastlane. I, I would go like with nothing end, crazy. I feel like it ends in Ronda Rousey interference, which is a little cliched. But That's anyway, 100% what's going to happen. She's going to come out, yeah. beat the crap out of both, then they're going to rule it a triple threat match. So, the point, like, here's what I feel like. I feel like the big picture, everything still works. And I enjoyed this week's episode of Raw because of everything that Ronda Rousey did. But oh, me too. But I totally agree with you that it, from a big picture, I think this still works. You still have the fans are behind Becky. Sure. Charlotte, I don't love a triple threat, but Charlotte I, being yeah. in the match, I get because, one, she's a pure heel, and she's very True. good on the mic, so she can kind of carry. But now the Ronda heel the, thing makes even less this. sense. Let me, let, me, let me finish. Ronda is obviously like turned heel and she's like Ronda smash at this point. Right. Which is but great. Even if I, if I th- like think of the other triple threat matches where, where this has kind of happened, right? Like with Brian and then Batista and Randy Orton, that's two kind of different flavors of heels in the match. And I get it when it was, um, when it was Chris Benoit versus triple H and Shawn Michaels, again, they, they aren't there to play the exact same kind of character. You know what I mean? They're they're there to play off of each other as much as they are to play off the hero. And I think that still works. And I think part of this is just me being biased because I still really like Ronda Rousey. And I'm like, no, no, I get it. Like, people hate her, but she's a tweener because everything she's saying makes a lot of sense to me. And I think wrestling fans are kind of trash. And I don't blame her for getting mad as opposed to somebody right. like Charlotte Flair, who's just the worst. Right. You know what I mean? Like, it feels there's yeah. enough different flavor in this triple threat for it to work, even though two of them are kind of heels. It's on a week to week basis that they do not know what they're doing. And I think yeah. this is kind of what we get for putting our chips in with Becky Lynch and saying, This is what we want the main event to be. I feel like there was a part of Vince McMahon that was like, All right, so this is the angle. What are we going to? And he's now directly involved every week. And he's like, no, we got to, you know, we got to make her look like the underdog. We got to make her look right. strong. And they're yep. like, and the consistency week to week is just not there no, at all. Like the best no. thing they ever did for Becky Lynch 
was have her lose at SummerSlam because that felt like a completely real corporate decision to overlook her because it was. Right. That's why everyone popped, and that's when she, like, kind of went supernova, and everyone got super, super behind her and just revolted on the rest of the women's scene, right? Yep. But now they're trying to replicate that with an angle, like with actually making decisions to do it, and they can't figure out what they want to do. So one weekend she's hurt, and the authority's trying to screw her out of her title shot. And the next week, no, fine, you can be in. It's okay, because Ronda Rousey threw a tantrum, but now she's throwing another tantrum because she wants the title back, I guess. Even yeah, that, that made no week. sense either. No, I don't... They're, I, don't know. Yeah, I, know, I, don't I think, think you're 100% right. I think they have no idea what they're doing, and it's just each week they're like, all right, uh, well, this didn't work, let's fix that. Like, like they, they have no direction whatsoever. And it's it's showing, and it's just getting tedious and just I th- dumber and I dumber the, each week. It'll, it'll still work. I sure. think after... The, the fact that you have to have a match at Fastlane is partially to blame for this. I think once I you agree. get to the point where it's just the three of them in a match at WrestleMania, I think it like it'll be okay. This will still work. They've just lost the thread like from week to week. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I don't I don't hate it because I like I said I think the big picture is still there and the match will still be good and still be satisfying because all three of them are great performers. Oh yeah, no, I way. agree. I totally agree. It'll work. It's just it's it might be a little weird getting there. But there's only I, so many wrinkles they can throw at us now. Like we really are in the home stretch. I'm just so worried that they're just gonna be Charlotte, Rhonda, beat the crap out of Becky, she's gone the whole match, and then comes back in and wins. Like I hate that formula so much, and that's almost what you have to do in every single triple throw match. That's why I hate them. Mm-hmm. And I'm just worried it's gonna do that and it's just gonna be unsatisfying I mean, the- of a match. The fantasy booking of it is that you get to see a moment where she takes down Charlotte and then focuses her attention on Ronda Rousey, and then they have like a one-on-one match for five minutes, and then she beats Ronda clean. You know, like you want to see them. Yeah. You want to see her overcome both, basically. But that one-on-one with Ronda Rousey is going to be so electric. Like it doesn't matter what they say in the weeks leading up to it, and if they give that a little time to cook then I think it'll blow the roof off the place no matter what happens leading up to it. This is all assuming that, you know, nothing crazy happens in the next few weeks and it might depend on, you know, who's re-signing and if Ronda's leaving and all that crap. But Yeah, just at this point, the way they booked it, I I don't see how anyone in their right mind could think Becky is going to do anything. And now if she does, it's like unrealistic because they've hurt her so bad. And all of a sudden, it's like, why all of a sudden is she now going to be fine against these two people? Like, uh, they've booked, they, this is what I'm talking about, overbooking it. It's like, you've just gone too far. Like, you can put the obstacles in there, that's great, and you, that's needed for certain things. But at this point, it's just like, I don't know, I don't know. They'll, they'll have to fix something before Mania, and I hope they do. But anyway. I think they'll just, I mean, I don't know if they will or not, but if they just chill. If they just stop trying to overdo it, yep. then it'll be fine. Just let it let yep. it breathe. But I agree. So now we'll get into the actual program, and Harris has the topic here. So, uh, Harris, why don't you uh, take us away? All right. So I had a topic in mind for this week, you know, as we usually do. But as is want to happen, when you're doing research, sometimes you realize this is not enough 
for a show or, you know, this is too much for a show or you get kind of sucked off in another direction. So what happened was I came into this week with one very clear idea of what I wanted to do. I started doing my research Thursday night and then I realized as fun as this is, it's not enough for a full episode. And oh, no, I have to find something and find something fast. And with all that said, Mark, I'm really, really happy with what I found. (laughs) I have never, I had never heard of it before. It was completely new to me. I hadn't seen it on like another wrestling channel or heard about it on another wrestling podcast. I don't know if it's new to you or not, but I'm pretty excited to see where this thing goes. So we're going to, we're going to jump around a little bit before we get to where our story really picks up, but we're going to start the story uh, in 1998 or so. Okay. Now, Mark, if I if I had to say to you, who is the most important man in that Hell in a Cell match between The Undertaker and Mankind and Mick Foley, where, you know, he was thrown through the roof of the cage and nearly died. If right. I was to ask you who the most important man in that match was, it's a bit of a debate, right? Because you could say either, oh, well, The Undertaker, because he kept the match going and, like, walked Mick Foley through everything, even though he was almost dead. Or Mick Foley, because, you know, he almost died and wanted to still keep doing the match. I beg to differ. I say JR. Oh, okay. Good call. I was thinking about the physical execution of the match itself. No, I know. But that's a great point. Well, anyway, okay, so this changes my follow-up question then. I was going to say, I think easily the third most important man, but with your point, I might say the fourth most important man in that match, is the actual ref. The ref of this match was a guy named Tim White, and he did his job, which is to remain invisible and right. let the story keep going. But if you're the ref in that situation, think about it. Like you, you think really hard about, oh my god, if we keep doing this, I might kill this man. Like this is kind <laughs> of on me. It's my responsibility to throw up the X if something goes this wrong. Right. But he didn't do that, and the fact that he trusted the performers to go on with it is a big reason that we have that match today. Now, I don't bring that up just to talk about how underappreciated the refs are, but to talk about the fact that I had never really associated the Hell in a Cell with a referee before. Um, But this is an angle about this man, Tim White. This is an angle about what Hell in a Cell did to him, sort of. Well, wait a minute. I think I know know where this is going. Excellent. And I, I I hope it is. I think you do. So <laughs> that, that that's just kind of a footnote. That's just an introduction to Tim White to on a cell and what it can do to a person. And we know like since they've introduced it, WWE loves to hype up hell in a cell. Oh yeah. There's all these different ways. They that made they a do freaking it. pay-per-view I, named after. Yeah. Well, I love, I love the way that announcers in wrestling talk about structures. Like my favorite one is when you have a steel cage or hell in a cell and they start telling you how many miles of chain link are in it or some crap <laughs> like that. Like if you were to measure right. every single length of it, like that makes any difference at all. Who's who's doing sounds, this measuring? I want to know who's the one measuring it. I don't know. I want to know what their <laughs> figures are on this. But it's all part of building up the psyche of this match, right? Like, oh, these two men are setting foot in Hell in a Cell, and you can just ask Mick Foley. You're never the same after, you know, like it's this – it's this legend that they try to build and preserve. And it makes that match, when it's really worthy of it, a lot of fun. But sometimes they get a little a little out of the box with it. Um, all that being said, fast forward a few years. It's now 2002. 
Triple H and Chris Jericho are having a Hell in a Cell match, and they brought back the same ref, Tim White. And this is a fine match. That I didn't really come here to talk about the match itself. What I came here to talk about is the finish of the match, where Chris Jericho eats the pedigree on top of Hell in a Cell, and Tim White, the same ref, counts to three. Chris Jericho loses. It's a clean loss, you know, on top of the cage. But Tim White has jacked up his shoulder somehow during the three count, I think. It's kind of hard to tell, but if you watch the match, you know, maybe he heard it, like, climbing up the cage because they were on the roof at this point, you know. Right. Who knows what other weird stuff happens, but it looks like in the midst of the three count, there's, like, a sort of T-like structure supporting, like, grabbing onto the cage to raise and lower it from the ceiling, and maybe he just catches it at a weird angle. You can't quite tell what happens. But you can kind of tell this guy hurt himself. And again, he's a ref. His job is to be invisible, you know, unless it's a really overbooked finish in WCW. So he just starts kind of rolling his shoulder around. And the mat, you know, you go on with the show like nothing happened. Well, it turns out Tim White seriously injured his shoulder doing that three count. And he had to have surgery on it. He spent over a year like working it out, getting back into it. He comes back for another Hell in a Cell match, this time between Chris Jericho and Christian. And he injures his shoulder again. And this is a little bit different. This is an actual ref bump. They have footage of it. Like, he gets knocked off the ropes into the structure, falls to the ground. And, you know, some of that was clearly a work, like, planned out beforehand. But he did legitimately injure his shoulder again, working hell in a cell. And he had to retire. That was how bad it was. And he had always been kind of a part-time ref anyway. But he was done at this point. Like, he jacked up his shoulder so bad, he had to go have surgery and... Best of luck in your future endeavors. He was done. Mm -hmm. And another year passes. And now we have a Hell in a Cell match coming up between Randy Orton and The Undertaker. And the company loves to find some new ways to hype up Hell in a Cell. But at this point, it's 2005. They've gone to The Undertaker well kind of a lot. They've probably gone to the Mankind well a lot. And they still do that. And they will always do that. But this year, they thought they'd be kind of clever. And they'd take another direction with it. And that direction was Tim White. And if you look at this man, it really is kind of interesting how much of his career as a ref is tied to iconic Hell in a Cell moments. You know, and he was the ref for that iconic match. Uh, He hurt himself once at Hell in a Cell, and then he was ultimately retired, you know, by the cell. Maybe we should work that into the story somehow. So if you're a writer in this situation, Mark, I don't know, would you... um, Maybe put together a little video package, interview him a little bit about what the cell means, and then move on. Do you think that sounds like a good way to like kind of uh, build up? Yeah, sure. Build up the cell a little bit, right? And that's not the only thing you do, but it's a good way to sort of hammer home, like, wow, this has an impact on everyone who sets foot inside it, not just performers, right? Right. Well, Mark, you have way too much common sense. <laughs> to be a writer for WWE. Oh, we've established this. We have established that. Because at this pay-per-view, this is the Armageddon pay-per-view in 2005. And this is what they decided to do. And I'm going to read from the Wikipedia article on this. Because it makes up the bulk of this man's Wikipedia page. It's how I learned about it. And I think it phrases it really pretty well. All right. Are you ready? <clears throat> um, I am I'm ready, willing, and, and listening. On December 18th, 2005, White made a controversial on-screen appearance at the Armageddon pay-per-view. In the segment, a despondent White was interviewed by SmackDown reporter Josh Matthews inside the bar he owned. 
the Friendly Tap in Cumberland, Rhode Island. He was depicted drinking large amounts of alcohol, claiming that the aforementioned Hell in a Cell match ruined his life. He then proceeded to take a shotgun out from under the bar and, off-screen, fired the gun, apparently killing himself. Brilliant. This is on a pay-per-view, so, um, you know, mm-hmm. tens of thousands of people are watching. Which year was this? Probably. 2005. Okay, okay. So we're not quite TVPG. It's a very interesting thing to watch live because the crowd is at first bored as Josh Matthews is interviewing this guy who no one remembers or cares about. <laughs> right. There are some chants of boring as Tim White is giving like these sad, like Basset Hound looking eyes to Josh Matthews and the camera and unconvincingly drinking a large amount of beer and whiskey. And then there's a moment where he pulls the gun out and the crowd goes, oh, (laughs) and it's not like a no, don't do it. It's like, oh, no. (laughs) Oh, come on. And then he walks off off set out of sight of the camera. And Josh Matthews goes, Mr. White, Mr. White, please don't do that. Mr. White, no. (laughs) And it's not subtle. Right. Which we talked about earlier. Hey. Give him credit. They weren't subtle about it. There was no sure, room for interpretation. Sure. There was a thunderous gunshot. And then Josh Matthews sitting there looking absolutely horrified. And they get another, oh, oh from the crowd. <laughs> because, and this is the last sentence in the Wikipedia article. This sketch was considered distasteful. Oh, in well, part, really? In part due to the death of Eddie Guerrero one month earlier. Well, I, I wow, I, 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 yeah, of course, I didn't even think of that. I was thinking of the fact that they actually had a death on a pay per view like less than six years earlier. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> oh no, it just gets worse. It was thirty three days, Mark. It was thirty three days after Eddie Guerrero died. Well, they were like, we can yeah. do this now, right? This is fine. Uh, yeah, you know the, the 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 mandatory mourning period is over. Oh my. Goodness. So they cut back. I kid you not. One of the things that he talks about in that little interview in his bar with Josh Matthews, you know, he's going on and on about how the cell has cost him everything because that's meant to be the whole point, right? Sure. Yeah, we're, we're building up the hell in a cell match, here. folks. Yep, there's a match going on later. <laughs> and it's a big deal. And this structure is really imposing and intimidating. So he's like, you know, it's just I've always been in pain ever since that match and I started drinking and, you know, I turned to drugs and I drove everyone away from me and my wife left me and my friends left me. But yeah, WWE thinks it's a good idea to send someone mm-hmm. to interview him well, if all this stuff is true. Right. And, it, you know, maybe it's it's one of those things where the company like reaches out and wants to lend a helping hand and, you know, you're part of the family now. Like, let's work this out. Let's look out for you or something like that. But at some point, he's going on and on about, you know, the physical ailments, the aches and the pains and the medication gave me irritable bowel syndrome on top of everything else. And then he goes on, takes a shotgun off the wall, walks off screen, kills himself. Right. And we cut back to the stadium and the crowd is just in one of those states where it's like, why do we watch this? Like, I don't <laughs> I don't care anymore, man. Like, I let's go home. And Michael Cole says, did we? Did we just see what I think we just saw? 
Well, no, it was Taz, off screen, Michael. Michael is trying to sell it a little bit, you know? Sure. Always the company Taz, man. Taz says, man, irritable bowel syndrome. I can't believe that. Anyway, here we have Team <laughs> M&N coming down for the tag team match. I mean, they pivot so hard. I love it. I, oh, that makes me have so much more respect for Taz. He's just like, uh, all right, well, it. let's move on from this crap. <laughs> they no-sell this man blowing his brains out like he just lost the sumo monster truck match and fell off the roof. Like, that quickly. But we don't have a Bobby Heenan being like, wait, no, there's a man out there. Right. <laughs> Right, they just move on. Taz is just like, yeah, that was crazy, man. I hope he's okay. Anyway. <laughs> That's great. And then move on. It wasn't even before the main event. Like I said, there's some crappy, you know, lower card tag team match immediately following this. The rest of the show goes on. I don't even know what happened in the match, Mark, because I was too, <laughs> like Bobby Heenan, I was too consumed with worry over what happened to poor Tim White and whether we were ever going to follow up on this again. Right. And you would think, hey, maybe driving a man to kill himself is enough. We don't have to revisit this poor guy again. We can just sort of write him off. Well, he's, he's, well he's dead, Harris. What are we going to revisit? That's Oh, that's super interesting. I'm glad you bring that up because uh, if you were tuning in, if you were a frequent follower of WWE.com, as everyone was in 2005. God help you if you were. I believe that was the second year my family had a computer. Right. So if, you know, if little Mark gets on the computer one day to see what's going on with his favorite wrestlers and, you know, read the news and catch up on the latest videos from Armageddon in 2005, you might see another little clip pop up. And it's Josh Matthews. And he's back backstage. And guess what? It's a miracle. He is happy to report that what actually happened is that Tim White dropped the gun and he's here with Tim White now backstage. Tim White looks just as sad as ever, if not more sad, because not only has he tried to kill himself, he's failed and is presumably not feeling any better. He's got a massive bandage on his toe because apparently what happened, Mark, is that he didn't die. He dropped the shotgun and shot his own toe off. Oh, no. So it is very sad, but... Josh Matthews, to his credit, he's doing the real, you know, Lord's work here. He's trying to reach out to this man and say, you know what? But it's so great that you're still here and you have a second lease on life. And he starts to, you know, ask him some more questions about what he's going to do now and how it feels to, you know, still be alive and have a second chance. And Tim White just looks at him, shoves him to the ground and pulls out what looks like an industrial sized box of rat poison. Okay. Tilts his head back and just dumps it all down his throat. And this isn't like one of those things where, you know, you see the EMTs come in and like make him spit it back out. Uh, he collapse, he falls over backwards in his chair, both feet up in the air, and you hear some really nasty and really visceral gurgling and choking sounds. Mm-hmm. And the camera fades to black, and that's the end of the segment. So what actually happened okay. is that poor Tim White couldn't kill himself on the pay-per-view, but in the second interview attempt, had some rat poison downed it. And now we've seen this man kill himself twice, this time on camera. Right. It's pretty dark stuff, you know? It's mm, yeah. It's wild. Oh, but wait, no, hang on. I'm sorry. If if Mark if little Mark in two thousand and five had logged back onto the family computer in about a week to see, you know, what had happened on the latest episodes of Raw and SmackDown, he might have seen another video. 
This is a video with Josh Matthews again, with Tim White again. And Josh Matthews is so happy to report, Mark, that actually Tim White survived again. And it's so great that he's still here despite this battle. He can still be a source of light and inspiration. And as he's talking, poor Tim White has produced the noose from his pocket, strung himself up with it. It's a big pocket. And fallen off a chair. Okay. And once again, this is not one of those things like you might be thinking, oh, well, maybe it's just a bit of slapstick, you know, like he fall, like, you know, the, the noose falls out from the ceiling or something, which is a little dark, but still, you know, okay. Sure. No, you see his feet dangling about a foot off the floor as you hear him choke out. And Josh Matthews, again, Mr. White, Mr. White, no, what are you doing? This is not wise. Please stop it. Stop it. And he runs off to get help. But once again, Tim White has killed himself. For those of you keeping count the third week in a row this man is a living god harris well this is this is superman we have we have found him there's never there, there haven't been any explanations given since the shotgun either by the way it's just been a close call like maybe the to be fair i imagine the medical facilities at wwe tapings are pretty competent because they've sure. probably seen some stuff sure but i don't know about like stomach pumping rat poison and resuscitating a man who hanged himself but at any rate the next week we're back again and josh matthews oh, is no. interviewing tim white and leave said, him oh, alone josh you would think that maybe he would <laughs> but at the same time it's honestly amazing that tim white doesn't ever try to kill himself in between tv tapings. that's what i'm impressed with like he shows back up every week and then immediately is it just like no i can't i'm sorry i'm done so this week just get the camera away. The camera's what's causing him to do it. You would think, right? But, you know, got to have content. Got to get those sweet, <laughs> sweet clicks. Of course. So he's, anyway, he's, he's back again. And Josh Matthews, so chipper and eager, is happy to report that Tim White has actually gotten himself into therapy. And, oh. and in talking to his doctors, he's learned a lot. And he, he thinks he's really going to be better now. Isn't that right, Tim? Well, that's good. And Tim just looks at him and sort of chuckles. He's got this really unsettling look on his face and he walks over to a tub of water and it looks like it could be one of those things like an ice bath you know sure. that athletes use or something like that and that's what josh says he says oh is this some sort of new um like water therapy i've heard about this yeah yeah this is super interesting can you tell me about how it works and tim doesn't say anything he just looks at him and he stands you know he, he wades into the tub it's about up to his waist and then he reaches over and he grabs a toaster right and he looks at Josh and nods, and Josh says, No, Mr. White, Mr. White, this is not wise. And poor Tim White drops the toaster into the tub, and again, it's not, you know, it's not like a cute, cartoony thing. It's like smoke and flashing lights and a very unsettling, like, shriek. Right. I mean, they're really, really not cutting back. And now, surely... Tim White has finally managed to kill himself because I just I don't know how you could ever come back from that level of electrocution, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, of course. So we've long since, by the way, stopped talking about what Hell in a Cell has to do with this. The match happened. Right, right. The match is over. At this point, this is just some sort of like human rights violation that we haven't <laughs> committed this man. We just keep showing up to interview him. For, I, I guess, our entertainment, maybe Josh Matthews <laughs> is trying to earn himself like a little more journalistic credibility. I don't know what else it could possibly be. 
and we're back, Mark. We're back the next week with the only thing in wrestling that isn't an exaggeration, I believe. When Josh Matthews says, no one has come closer to death than the man standing next to me. Fair. Because the man standing next to him is somehow Tim White. Oh, my. He's still breathing. I'm t- he, he's, he is. We have, we have a demigod amongst men right here. Without, without so much as even like a scar or a gray hair on his head, he's just sitting there looking real sad. Because on top of everything else, like he's a failure at killing himself. <laughs> right. <I guess. laughs> right. And at this point, you're right. I think we're dealing with some sort of immortal or a superhero here because he still should have been killed many times over. The only the example election. is he's he's Bill Murray in Groundhog Day. Yeah, no, that's what I thought of watching this. That is kind of the <laughs> vibe you get. And he's just back every week with no explanation. So maybe Hell in a Cell is cursed? Maybe. I don't know. At any rate, this week, poor Tim White. I think has gone a little overboard with the gimmicks and says, no, you know what'll work? Just a straight razor. Slit my own wrist right here. Boom. And he whips out a straight razor, you know, like he's Johnny Depp in a mediocre musical. And he slits his own wrist and a gush of blood, Mark, literally sprays across the camera onto Josh Matthews' face. Like he's blading now. This is the, this is the only thing close to wrestling that has ever happened since the first hell in a cell match by the way is that i got to make a joke that tim white was blading when he attempted to kill himself by slitting his own wrist that sound by the way that sound by the way was me hitting my head against the microphone yeah it sounds about right yeah yeah and i just don't like they keep going y'all it doesn't stop (laughs) back to next week (laughs) there's no explanation at this point we come back the next week, and at this point, they are literally showing you like it's any other WWE segment. They're showing you a highlight reel of what you missed in the last <laughs> few weeks. <laughs> and they're showing you him pulling out a shotgun and stepping in a bathtub and trying to hang himself and eating rat poison. <laughs> and then they cut back to Josh Matthews, and he says, but now I'm here again with Tim White. Tim. I see that you've got a pet goldfish. That's so great, man, because, you know, I've read things about how pet owners are more likely to get over their depression because they have a sense of purpose. Of course. And Tim, Tim, Mr. White, Mr. White, what are you doing? Is this sort of, oh, I get it. It's some sort of like new necklace that I've never seen before, right? And he says that as Tim White straps a brick around his neck sticks his head in his fish's tank and attempts to drown himself by dragging his own neck to the bottom of the fish tank. And again, you don't see, like, there's not a thing where, you know, a security team that is obviously here, because obviously he was going to do this, right? Comes storming in and drags him out of the pool. No, you see, like, you see the camera angle from the bottom of the fish tank looking up as the panic in his eyes grows and he blows out bubbles to the surface and then stops breathing. And then we fade to black again. <laughs> That's it's by really far my visceral. favorite. That's by far my favorite one. <laughs> well, you would think that would be definitive enough, right? Oh man. And we come back next week and he says, ladies and gentlemen, He's still here. He's still fighting. And you're such an inspiration to us, Mr. White. 
oh, what is that? Mr. White produces tape from his pocket. And he says, oh, I get it, Mr. White. You're going to put that on the ground and you're going to show me a line that you'll never cross again. That's really inspirational. Okay, shut up, Josh. Josh. Josh, I respect you for trying, buddy, but a journalist of your caliber should really know better by now. Yeah. You certainly should have brought somebody to help you. You should certainly be able to do something to stop as this man takes a large plastic garbage bag out from his other pocket and tapes it around his own neck to suffocate himself. Yeah. Using the tape. Now, this one isn't even like comically over the top so much as it's just like, oh, Oh, that's a little, oh, it's grim, Mm -hmm. you know, and he's, maybe, I I think the writers at this point, Mark, kind of hit a wall, because the next week, it's like they're not even trying. (laughs) The next week, Josh Matthews, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen. They've been trying? Somebody nominally got paid to write all this. No, you know exactly what happened. Uh, I'll let you keep going, but I'm going to share my yeah. theory when we're okay. when we're okay. done if, if this ever ends you man you would think because it's been it's been multiple weeks at this we've point. been like we're like two months in at this point here but you can tell like not only are the viewers if anyone is watching this getting burnt out the writers are burnt out too because we show up next week and he says ladies and gentlemen after many many close calls our friend tim white who's been in a dark place for quite a while now is here again gunshot just instantly gunshot off screen you, you barely even see him cock the gun. <laughs> There's another spray of blood across Josh Matthews' face. The segment lasts like 40 seconds. Like they didn't even have anything. He was just like, ladies and gentlemen, he, he did it again. There's not even, oh man. There's not even anything left at this point. So we're so far past any excuse for how he's still alive. Um, let me just give you, I, I'm just going to fast forward a bit because you're right. It does kind of feel like it never ends. Uh, The next week, we're back again. No explanation as to how he survived last week or the week before that or the week before that or the week before that. Josh Matthews is here. Um, The highlight reel is still going every week, showing all the different (laughs) ways he's tried to kill himself. Mm -hmm. They're playing Pop Goes the Weasel during it. (laughs) Every week. (laughs) Dot, 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 and we're back. Like it's <laughs> tonally, we've had quite a shift in oh, the eight yeah. weeks or so that this has been happening. From the original pay per view, which was you know aired live in front of ten thousand people, and you got to hear the reaction to the whole thing. Oh yeah. And now it's just straight up for the lulls. Like wah wah. Look at this guy. What's he gonna do this week? We're on the road to WrestleMania. So Tim White, who has won a car at a casino proceeds to get in the car and turn on the exhaust and stick a hose in the backseat as Tim, as you know, Josh Matthews frantically tries to get him out of the car because <laughs> we're on the road to WrestleMania now. Oh wink, yeah. Wink. You get it? Oh yeah. They're nothing if not consistent with their branding. So that happens one week. The next week, again, no explanation as to what happened. Although I guess you could say they broke him out of the car. I don't sure. know. Well now, God, after about 12 weeks, we finally updated <laughs> the situation and have finally, finally, Mark, called in some professionals. Well, that's Josh good. Matthews is here reporting live from uh, 
undisclosed location where the government's top scientists are working around the clock to cure various chronic diseases and ailments, including mental illnesses, including depression. And we've brought some of the best people here, and we've brought Mr. White to them to try and come up with a way for him to beat this depression. Um, the problem with that is these people are really bad at their job, just like everyone else in this story. Uh, they haven't left Mr. White under any sort of supervision. And as Josh Matthews is trying to talk to him about what a great facility he's in, Tim White just turns around, walks over to a vat, uh, takes a big old scoop of what is clearly labeled mad cow disease and just knocks it right on back. So um, boy. we've gone from uh, straight razors and different gunshots and a toaster in the tub and suffocation in various ways and hanging yourself. He's just drinking mad cow disease now, y'all. He's just hoping for the best. He's He's got nothing left. Also, they just left him unattended near a vat of mad cow disease, almost like they don't really care what happens to this guy because Lord knows nobody's ever tried to stop him before this week. Right. But unsurprisingly, perhaps, the mad cow disease doesn't quite cut it because, Mark, we're still not done. We're still not. Um, I guess he's been cured from the mad cow disease because we're back next week. And we're, we're, I guess we gave up on professional treatment. We're back, back backstage, and Josh Matthews, who, God bless him, his enthusiasm, his chipper demeanor has not wavered once Well, throughout this entirety. Okay. Now, you would think at some point that he would get a little shaken up by all of this. Or I, I would he, think at some point they'd bring in Dr. Shelby. <laughs> Dr. Shelby's trash. He's never helped anyone get over anything. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> nobody else has either. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, it's clearly not working. But not only that, he doesn't – every week he goes into the interview assuming and trusting that this guy will not try to kill himself again. Once again, it's been months since the Hell in a Cell pay-per-view where all this came up. We haven't seen another wrestler interact with this man for months. There's no match we're building up to. There's no angle – there is only suicide over and over and over again. Woo! This week, he's happy to report that Tim White is actually behind this door and he's interviewing his biggest fan. And I really hope that this will be a chance, ladies and gentlemen, for us to see that Tim White has beaten his depression and he's gotten over the hump and he's going to be all right. And he opens the door. And <laughs> you know what this reminds me of, Mark? This reminds me of when we had Leslie Nielsen trying to find The Undertaker (laughs) because we opened the door to reveal that Tim White is actually sitting there with a screwdriver out tinkering with a giant box fan. Okay. Josh Matthews tries to take it in stride and says, oh, you know, I I didn't think this is what you meant when you said your biggest fan, but I get it. And did you fix this fan up? Because that's really cool. It's so important to have hobbies. Oh, what are you doing there, Mr. White? Do you do you want to show me the inside of the fan that you fixed? Okay, that's really cool. And Tim White proceeds to take the protective grating off of the giant fan, take a big old running start, and just leaps into the fan, just sticks his head right into the fan. Josh Matthews, who, by the way, 
did nothing to stop him. <laughs> I'm starting right. to think that he's in on this or just doesn't care at this point. Right. Or is hoping that he'll finally do it so he has some closure. <laughs> Josh Matthews is on the complete opposite side of the fan. And it, it's like poor Tim White just ran into a jet engine. The amount of blood that shoots through the fan onto Josh Matthews, oh. it looks like a bucket was thrown on him. If I didn't oh. know any better and I thought wrestling was fake, which it's obviously not. It's totally real. This really happened. Oh, yeah. I would think that somebody standing just off stage had just thrown a bucket of red paint on okay. him. But that obviously wasn't it. It was it was poor Tim White sticking his head into a box fan as the latest in what are honestly clearly spiraling attempts to end it all. Oh, boy. You would think, like, that's a pretty desperate, like, grisly act, and you would think he can't really top that anymore. Yeah, you can't really, uh, total, um, disembodiment, you think, would be the last straw. Well, there's no way he has any head left at this point. Right, right. But, (sighs) it continues. That's all I can say. We're back, we're back the next week. If for some reason, Little Mark is still using the computer every week to check in on Josh Matthews and Tim White. Little, little Mark has gone back to watching WCW videotapes. <laughs> there we go. Where nothing silly ever happened. Nope. And we, we tune in the next week, and now they've just given up, Mark. They've lost their heads completely because Josh Matthews is reporting live from a suicide prevention hotline center, it's which about is time. the last place in the world that he needs to be. Because he clearly is not good at this, like, at all. He's had 15 weeks of practice at this point. And while, to be fair, Tim White is still alive, I'm not really giving Josh Matthews credit for that. Because every week, he fails to do anything to keep (laughs) this man from trying to kill himself. That's that's very true. So at any rate, he decides that we're going to to call Mr. White, you know, to make sure he has the number for the suicide hotline. And we're just going to do a little bit of role-playing. And Josh Matthews is going to practice being a suicide hotline operator. And, oh, what's that? Yeah, Tim White has taken the phone cord and is trying to strangle himself with it. Please don't do that, Mr. White. That's not wise. We need some help. Harris, 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 Harris. I'm I'm going to stop you right here. Does this ever end? Yes, we're reaching the, there is light at the end of the time. Because, you know, Atlanta United starts in about eight (laughs) minutes and, you know, fast lane starts in a a couple hours. I'm I'm just wondering. I'm I'm just wondering. I'm wrapping it up, but if this feels like it went on forever, bear in mind that I'm condensing it all into one afternoon. This is not (laughs) week after week after week after week after week of checking in. He hangs up on the man who has just called a suicide hotline. Good job, Josh. Well, he immediately calls 911. He calls 911, says, oh, well, yeah, I'll hold. Because there's a lot of 911 operators. And um, I'm pretty sure he called the wrong number because as he's put on hold, you can hear very vaguely in the background, but very distinctly, word life. This is basic thugonomics. Wicked, 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 basic thugonomics. <laughs> So oh, no. he's left on hold listening to John Cena's platinum album, which for it, God knows how long. Which okay, couple things, Harris. One, there's nothing wrong with listening to that, and two, that's a good album. That is not from his album. This was right, his song that he made song. first, and then he came up right. with the album next. Well, it's but his, anyway, it's his debut single. Then, sure. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. No, so is at any rate, 
I guess at some point he got through to 911. And he got through to Tim White, and they saved Tim White from strangling himself with a phone cord, which after everything else he's been through, he never had a chance with a phone cord. No, he was never going to win with that. But now, Mark, we do. We reached near the end of of this lurid tale of depression and misery and Tim White. And now it's WrestleMania week, y'all. We have made it. We have arrived, and Josh Matthews is outside, and he's interviewing Tim White. Tim White, by the way— has not spoken to him the entire time. <laughs> right. Every interview consists of him looking at Josh Matthews, looking at the camera, and then trying to kill himself. Sure. And at this point, he goes and he tries to ask him something about, you know, like, are you excited to be here at WrestleMania? But he doesn't get that far because the camera pans out a bit and we see all of Tim White's, you know, kind of like face, head, profile. And he's got what looks like a little red dot in the center of his forehead. And before Josh Matthews can ask him a question about it, we zoom out a little bit more and reveal that um, Tim White has a sign that says Hitman with an arrow pointing down to himself. And at this point, Josh Matthews does the most insightful thing he does the entire interview series, realizes what's about to happen and says, Mr. White, no! And flings himself to the ground and now, Mark, it's like you're watching footage from combat. Josh Matthews is crawling around in the mulch like he's a World War II reporter. The cameraman is in a squat, like running for his life, as we pan up to the roof and see a man with a rifle taking aim at poor Tim White and the sound of several gunshots. It's like, imagine... The Kennedy assassination, the Zapruder film, but somehow worse. I know, I know, no, no one can see us, but for the past minute and a half, my, my head has been resting against the microphone with my eyes closed, just, just waiting. This, that, that, that's the only, it's the only response I have to this, to this, to this scenario, what we've gone to. You would think that was clear enough, but at this point, like any sense of taste, has gone out the window months ago oh, yeah. because they go running back over to Tim White and you see him with a bloody hole in the middle of his head. And then we fade to black and you would think, you would pray to Vince McMahon that this angle be over now if you could ever call it an angle. Right. Which you can't because there's no payoff. Right. There's no wrestling match. There hasn't been a wrestling match connected with this at all in months but sure enough we're back and i promise i'm wrapping this up we're back (laughs) next week with tim white and josh matthews please tell me he at least has a bandage on his head he no he no sells it he no sells it like everything else there's not even a scratch on him and he actually Maybe something happened. Maybe it knocked him a little bit, you know, knocked him a little silly because he looks really happy now. And Josh Matthews is here to report that despite the accuracy of that sniper and his armor piercing bullet. (laughs) That's a quote. Uh, Let's throw in a little bit more. Why not at this point, honestly? Yeah. He's happy to report that Tim White is actually completely fine. Is he happy to report this? Is he really happy to report this? Or at this point, is he fed up like we all are also? 
you you would think so, but I think at this point he just he almost feels like they've bonded because of all these <laughs> near death experiences that they've shared. Uh, sure. Tim White hands him an invitation. He still hasn't spoken this entire time. Hands him an invitation, which Josh Matthews reads out loud, and he realizes that Tim White has turned a corner, and he's inviting Josh Matthews to a party where this all began at his bar, the Friendly Tap, to celebrate his life. And Josh Matthews is so happy to see that he's turned the corner. And we come back the next week, and we're at the Friendly Tap again. And there's balloons, and there's music playing, and Josh Matthews is there. And he's talking about how happy he is that his friend Tim White made it all the way through. And they're drinking, and there's like another little montage of them like playing pool together and slapping each other on the back. And it's the most happy-go-lucky thing you've ever seen. And then at the end of the night, Josh Matthews has had a few too many drinks, and he starts saying, man, remember when you took that shotgun off the wall and tried to kill yourself with it? I'm like, yeah, Josh, we all remember, and we all try to forget every week, and we're still here watching this for some reason. <laughs> but Tim White, Tim White's had enough of this, Mark. He's ready to put this angle to death. And that's not all he's ready to put to death, because in a better storytelling medium, in a better story, I would tell you this was like, Sort of a nice little callback to the way things began, you know? It's a circle, the beginning is the end. Sure. He produces the shotgun from below the bar again. Uh, Josh Matthews laughs as he sees it. He's like, oh, yeah, there it is. I remember the shotgun. And then the camera zooms in, so you can only see Tim White. Tim White levels the shotgun across the bar and pulls the trigger. And there's a blam, massive gunshot. Mm Mm-hmm. And blood streaks onto the camera. And Tim White speaks for the first time in months and says, Josh, that was not wise. And then the camera cuts back to the outside of the friendly tap. And the letters on the friendly tap rearrange to say, the end. And it's just all you need is Porky Pig, like sticking his head out and saying, (laughs) that's all, folks. Because that's been the tone of the whole thing from the very beginning. And mercifully, this would be the end of the angle, if you can even call it an angle. But you really can't. It was just a guy trying to kill himself on WWE.com for 16 weeks. Mm. And I know it was 16 weeks, and this is why I'm getting back to how I did my research for this episode. Because I just want to give a quick shout out. To the YouTube account Ref Tim White, which has uploaded <laughs> 16 videos, and it is every single one of these segments in chronological order, labeled part one, part two, part three, all the way down to part 16. Wow. It was created 10 years ago, it was updated 10 years ago, and the only 16 videos on the account are these videos. Wow. So. If you want 30 minutes to kill and you kind of just want to hate yourself and hate the WWE, this is a good way to do it. That being said, I highly recommend it because I promise you me talking about them cannot possibly do them justice. <laughs> I the, the commitment of Josh Matthews week in and week out of really trying to be there for this guy is just unbelievable. He just comes in every week fresh-faced and wide-eyed and Every week, he's just as horrified to watch this man try to kill himself. I'm amazed. Yeah, so... I'm amazed. This is a pretty infamous 
wrestling thing, I guess. I realized it was a thing after I had watched all the videos. I, I watched some other, you know, people talk about it, read some other articles about it. I had never heard of it before, but mm-hmm. I kind of get why. <laughs> I get why people <laughs> don't talk about this. Right. Because there isn't even a wrestling match to tie it back to. It's just like, hey, remember when WWE re- did a really tasteless thing for no reason? Like at all. There wasn't even a payoff match. Yeah. It just kind of yeah. happened. I don't know. You said you had heard about this before. I I've heard. I didn't. I didn't know all the details, but I've heard of this before. I've heard of it before. Uh, I have, but I mean, I didn't. I haven't looked into it, and I didn't know really much about it, other than the fact that I've heard about it. But um, yeah, that um, oh man, that that was yeah, that was something. Um, I still find it hard to believe that nobody was like. Well, maybe we shouldn't do this, like especially because it goes for sixteen weeks. Um, and you know, whenever and whenever the fan turns off in the background of wherever you are, that'll um, you know, that would that would help the show too. But, no, it's um, a box fan, Mark. I'm just trying to. <laughs> you're trying to help illustrate the point. Okay, I yeah, understand. Exactly, I like exactly. the commitment there, but I know one hundred percent what this was. I mean, it's very clear, at least to me. I mean, this is Vince, your, Mc, this is Vince is McMahon thinking that this is funny. That's 100% what this is. We, we, You know, I don't know how much you've heard about it, but people all say about Vince McMahon's sense of humor, and at least half the time, nobody thinks it's funny but him. Yeah. And this 100% is that. He had a blast watching this. He thought this was the funniest thing in the world, and that's why it kept happening. That's, it's that's be, the only I mean, explanation that there is. I think you're right. I think that makes sense. But here's the thing. The vibe you get watching it, and it doesn't take that long to watch them all. It's pro- I mean, they're each about a minute or two long. So you can watch all 16, you know, in 20 minutes probably. But the thing about, like, it, it feels like Southpaw Regional Wrestling. Like, it feels like something that people were doing just because they wanted to do it. And they just flew under the radar for a while. I don't doubt that Vince McMahon thought it was hilarious. But, like, these weren't even on television. Right, right. I feel like this would never have happened if they had aired week in and week out because somebody would have complained. Right. It's this weird combination of, like, this is clearly Vince McMahon and Tim White, by the way, who Mm -hmm. has gone on the record and said he thought this was really fun and he thought it was funny and liked doing it. It's a very specific like old man sense of humor combined with the fact that like it was just flying under the radar every yeah. week they released them every thursday at noon on wwe.com like i don't right. know who was tuning in for this crap every week i guess after a week or two you thought well i have to see what they do this week but <laughs> they're Maybe. known as they're known as the lunchtime suicides which sounds like a really trash band when I say it that way. It sounds like a punk band from 1996. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, man, it's definitely worth a watch because I get in a really messed up way. I get the sense of humor. It's funny to watch now, not because a man trying and failing to kill himself is funny, but because it's, I cannot believe that they are doing this funny. Right. You know what I mean? Like the more over the top it gets, the more ludicrously insensitive it gets and the funnier that gets. Right. But and this is something that I hadn't even thought about, but 
Brian Zane has a video on this and he stops and he points out about 10 minutes in. He's like, the only thing that people ever saw if they were like casual fans was the first episode, the one at the pay-per-view where he just kills himself off screen. Right. And he's like, I don't know what's worse. If you had to actually watch all of this stuff. Or if you're sitting down with your kid to watch some wrestling one night and this man just kills himself and you never hear about it. <laughs> that's Which a, is that's worse. a fair point. That's a fair point. Yeah. Yeah. It's man. I don't know. So this kind of I feel like this is the ultimate conclusion to our people no selling death suite. Because sure. I don't know how many more times he could no sell it. He's he's still alive, you know? He's invincible. Yeah. He's immortal. Like Hulk Hogan wishes he could be. He's he's it. So that's about all I got. Um, oh, man. I really hope they let this die and never, ever talk about it again. Oh, I'm sure they but will. I, I don't know if Tim White's in the Hall of Fame. They might put him in one day and then bring it back <laughs> up. But I my it. goodness. It's, you know, and then, and then of course, they, they started this angle 30 days after the death of Eddie Guerrero. And then, you know, it, it runs for a few months, and then, hey, a year later, a wrestler actually kills himself and right. kills his family. So, right. I don't know if it's quite karma, but it does mean at least we're never going to see anything like this again. True. That's the only silver lining I can take away from any of this. That's 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 fair. <laughs> well, if you're still with us, I don't know how, but I do appreciate it. Yeah, and... I'm very sorry. <laughs> And, and with that, we got to find out what's going on with our patron saint, David Artet. David, wow, I even messed, I messed up the name. Now we got to find out what's going on with our patron saint, David Arquette. So here's our segment, What's Up with David Arquette. And what is going on with David Arquette is not a whole lot. Unfortunately, um, he's still set to face King Brian at WrestleFest. Um, that's April 26th, and it's actually going to be a pretty big show. I mean, Ricky Steamboat will be there, Bully Ray, Jerry Lawler, the Lucha Bros, SoCal Uncensored. You know, it's a pretty, pretty stacked card, and he that that's the main event. Like, really? He's headlining this with all these other people. So wow. that's pretty, pretty big deal. Pretty big deal. And so that'll be fun. So we'll we'll keep mentioning that every week until that happens. And then uh, a couple other things. Let's see. He had a film called Mob Town that he made, an indie film, and it was picked up by Sabin Films. Uh, so it'll be di- distributed somewhere. And um, it's a uh, film or he's a local trooper, of course. And he uh, foils a mafia summit. Wait, he's a cop again? Yeah, again, yeah. And he foils a mafia summit in the rural town of Appalachian, uh, New York, and exposes the mob's brutal tactics to the wider world. So, um, I'm yeah, I remember him filming this. He filmed this like last year. I remember seeing stuff when he was filming it. So that got I'm picked very up. interested in this. First of all, two, I really wish we'd asked him about this. Why is he always playing a cop? Because of Dewey, someone like a cop. Because of Dewey, like, yes, that was that the that was the gag? role that put him on the map. So he's been typecast as a cop. But even in Ready to Rumble, like he quits <laughs> wrestling to go be a state trooper. But that's why. why? Cause, always what he does. Because of because of Scream. 
That's why. That's so funny. That is why. I just. Man. Um, let's see. A couple other things. Obviously, uh, Luke Perry died this week, which, I mean, I never watched Beverly Hills 90210. So, I mean, I wasn't as familiar with this stuff. But he, he was really good friends with David Arquette. Yeah. Um, because he, he David Arquette said that he had a big hand in helping him get in the movie Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the early 90s. Um, and then he was really good friends with him. So, you know, I saw a lot of stuff with him talking about talking about uh, Luke Perry. So that's kind of sad. And then um, he was in Arkansas um, about a, a few to, earlier this week um, doing some advocating for uh, pri- the prison systems with his oh, wife. I saw that, yeah. Um, something about making prison system prisons better or better treatment or something like that. So... He was off doing that. Um, always the uh, the activist doing different different things. So um, that's really it. Not a whole lot going on with with David Arquette, and unfortunately, hasn't been any wrestling stuff at all for a while. But it looks like his next thing isn't going to be till the end of April, which is kind of a shame. But you know, we'll see. Maybe he'll make a surprise run in again at some point. Who knows? Maybe he'll at least have some good seats at WrestleMania, so we can spot Ooh, him on TV and be yeah. like, "Hey, it's David Arquette." Ooh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I bet he will. I bet he will. So that that that's all that's really going on with David Arquette. So that that pretty much does it for uh, this episode of Behind the Gorilla. Again, make sure you follow us on Twitter at behind underscore gorilla. Send us your feedback for any of the episodes you've heard, or send us suggestions for new episodes. We're always looking for for new content and to see what you guys actually want to hear us talk about because there's there's a lot there's a lot of uh, wild things and if there's something we haven't gotten to yet that you really want us to, then go ahead and uh, let us know. We've had we've had people give some suggestions before, and we've we've been able to uh, to to do them. So it's always yeah. fun. Leave us a review. I'm really... Go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. All right, leave us a review on iTunes. Leave us a rating and review. Um, doesn't matter if you love it, then you know you give us a uh, solid five star. And if you didn't like it, then that's fine. We'll take one or two stars. That's fine. That's fine. Just just uh, go ahead and do that. And if you have a wrestling podcast yourself. Go ahead and let us know, and we'll be sure and um, respond with a rating and review as well. Try and help that grow. You can follow me on Twitter, at MarkMarkBrand. And I'm at Harris Wilson. You can do that as well um, for our personal taste on stuff. I know Harris tweets a lot more from that one, especially wrestling-wise. So you can do that as well. And, uh, yeah, we'll be back next week with another episode. It'll be my second part in the WCW Trilogy of Terror matches. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much all I got. Any final words, Harris? Uh, no, I just, I tell you what, I'm really excited for next week's episode. I hope you guys tune in because I'm just excited to talk about wrestling again, man. <laughs> I just spent 45 minutes talking about a guy trying and failing to kill himself. <laughs> I'm, I'm so excited to go watch Fastlane, even though it's going to be, like, probably a fairly mediocre show. I don't care. I just want to see wrestling again, man. Oh, just, yeah. You know, I'm ready to move on. Oh, me too. Me too. So again, that does it for this week. Thanks so much for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next week.